wants us to be. And so um, I am, I want to be, I want to preface that with that. Secondly, there will be times where I will answer questions that may seem um, somewhat sensitive. And so um, I need for the maturity to rise up in us for us to deal with some of these topics. Um, there's nothing worse than a, a Christian who doesn't understand the plight and heaviness of somebody else's struggle. Let me say that again. Judgmental Christians don't understand the plight and heaviness of somebody else's struggle. And so you are quick to laugh off what you don't understand, and you are quick to dismiss what ain't your thing. But if we dealt with your thing, then you would want sensitivity. And it's amazing how the saints of God don't put the same sensitivity to everybody else when they want it applied to themselves. The same mercy that you want, other people won't. And so we have to learn even in answering some of these questions. So I'm gonna do this, I thought about how I wanted to do this, and so um, in total I received about 12 questions. I'm not doing all 12 tonight. There's no way that I could teach all 12. There were some of them that had a theme, and so I kinda lumped all the questions that had a theme kinda together, and I'm gonna answer those questions um, as, as best as I could. Um, I want to start with um, more heavier, deeper, um, biblical questions, and then I'm going to come into more life-applicable questions. Everybody got that? Okay. Um, so here we go. Um, the first question that I, that, that, um, I want to deal with tonight is, Pastor, what is the correlation between salvation and baptism? What is the correlation between baptism and uh, salvation? What is the correlation between salvation and baptism? Um, let me say this, and I'm going to give this first disclaimer. Only believers in Jesus Christ should be baptized. Okay? That's just off jump. Only believers in Jesus Christ should be baptized because baptism uh, is, is a confession of faith and obedience to Christ's command. Christ said, uh, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Y'all remember that? Okay, I preached that for many months. Um, so what is baptism? Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, baptism is an outward symbol and confession of an inward reality of saving faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say all that again. Baptism is an outward symbol and confession of the inward reality of saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's an outward symbol of and confession of the inward reality of saving faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So let me break this down by denomination or different uh, sects of Christianity so that you have a better understanding, okay? Lutherans, Episcopalians, Orthodox churches, and the Roman Catholic Church believe that baptism confers the new, new birth. Let me say that again. Lutherans, Episcopalians, Orthodox uh, churches and Roman Catholics believe that baptism confers the new birth. In other words, they believe that baptism actually makes you a Christian. So all you have to do is be baptized, and that makes you a Christian. But many Protestants, and when you say Protestants, that word Protestant, we would be considered Protestant, Baptist, uh, AME, uh, Pentecostals, um, non-denominationals generally go under Protestant. Protestant means protest. Protest against what? The Roman Catholic Church. Okay, way back when, 
they had a problem that the only way that you were um, forgiven is that you had to pay money to the Roman Catholic Church to absolve your sin. And so Martin Luther had a problem with that and said, hey, uh -uh, something ain't right about that. That's not what my Bible says. Okay. And so Protestants like us, uh, especially Baptists, believe that baptism pictures actual accomplished salvation. Because if we believe that justification is by faith alone rather than good works, baptism is an outwardly confessing that God has brought them into genuine saving faith into Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that if I'm justified by faith, then the only thing that saved me was my faith in Jesus Christ. Not you putting me in some water. Because if you go in a wet devil... I mean, if you go in a dry devil, you're going to come out as a wet devil, okay? Baptism does not save you. It is a symbol of salvation, not the means of salvation. Let me say that again. Baptism is a symbol of salvation, not the means of salvation. The act of baptism does not save anybody. It does not save you. It never has, it never will, because the Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Let me say that again. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Salvation is by what? Through alone, okay? Where do we get that from? Go to Ephesians, the second chapter, uh, verse number eight. Ephesians, the second chapter, okay? I got to give you some biblical background, and I'm going to get off this uh, question and go to the next one. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse number eight. Ephesians 2, verse number 8. Ephesians 2, verse number 8. Baptism does not save you, okay? Ephesians 2, verse number 8. If you have it, say amen. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, verse number 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, help me. If, I, if salvation was through baptism, doesn't that mean I had to do something in order to receive salvation? Didn't, doesn't that mean I had to work for it in some sense? Okay? But the Bible says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay? So you can't say, I got, I got baptized when I was 13. And that automatically, you know, sets me apart from everybody else. No, if you didn't know Jesus at 13, you just, you know, got really wet. Okay? It is your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. It is your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. Go over to Titus, the third chapter. Titus, the third chapter, verse number four. Titus, the third chapter, verse number four. Titus, third chapter, verse number four. Titus three, verse number four. If you have it, say amen. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. In other words, there's nothing so holy you could have done to deserve salvation. On your holiest day, you still jacked up. 
Okay, let me say that again. On your holiest day, for most of y'all that's Sunday, between 10 and 12, on your holiest day, it would not have been good enough to save you. Look at this. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by what? The Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. See, baptism is important, but it does not save you. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you the, because the, I want you to make sure that you understand the argument. I'm going to give you a scripture that totally contradicts everything I just told you. Go to Acts, the second chapter, verse number 38. Acts the second chapter, verse number 38. And this is where we also get, um, um, there's some uh, Pentecostals that believe that you have to be baptized in order for it to be salvation. Um, there's, um, and of course, the Roman Catholic Church, there's other um, uh, faiths that believe this. And this is where they get this from, why they believe that baptism is necessary in order for you to be saved. Acts the second chapter, verse number 38. Do you have it? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, doesn't that sound like that just contradicted everything I just said? Do y'all see that? Are y'all reading with me? Because y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all just looking at me. Okay, are you reading with me? Let's read one more time because I don't think you read. Um, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If baptism is not an initiation of salvation, then why does Acts, the second chapter, verse number 38, say to repent and be baptized, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Here's the reason why. You can't take a text and remove the context from the text. Okay? You can't take one scripture and build a whole doctrine out of it because if you take one scripture and build a whole doctrine out of it, then everybody in here, have a, uh, every woman in here have a hat on her head. Because we will take one scripture and we will take it out of context and not realize what the person or who wrote it or what the intent was. Now, let me give you the intent, the context behind the text. Because, why did Peter say this? Because baptism, listen to this, was an immediate, inseparable, and public testimony of a true conversion. At the time that this was written... True believers were baptized on the day of Pentecost. Watch this, the same day. So there was not a scheduling of your baptism. If you said that you believed in Jesus Christ, they say, come on, let's go to the pool right now. This is why Peter says, repent and be baptized. Because the way that they did it in that day was something that happened immediately. It, was not, it wasn't weeks later, it wasn't months later, it wasn't years later or decades later. The apostles insisted on it and the people assumed it. Because there was a close connection in the minds of the apostles between belief and baptism. Come here, freedom. It bewilders me in this church that when baptism comes around people don't want to do it because you don't want to get your hair wet 
it causes me to question, did you really receive Jesus Christ? Because baptism is an outward of expression of an inward conversion. It means you're so happy that your sins have been washed away. You're so happy that you've been accepted into the beloved. That you're so happy that Jesus Christ died in your place so that you would never have to go to hell. That you willingly go down in that water and come back up. And if hair is more important, check your salvation. Do y'all see that? Saving faith is obedient faith, but scripture is clear that baptism always follows faith which saves. Baptism always follows faith that's which saves. So Peter added baptism as the naturally understood consequence of believing. It means I believe, so let's get baptized. There are certain, when we went to South Africa, we were in South Africa, and um, we were at Hillsong Church in South Africa. And they had a big baptism pool outside of their church. They had a bunch of people around. And while service was going, they had what, 17 services, 17 worship services. While service was going on, watch this. Um, they would in one service, people would give their life to Jesus Christ, and then they immediately said, Do you want to be baptized? And they were immediately baptizing people right then and there. Because when Jesus Christ has changed your life, you don't care what you got to do to say thank you. See, I don't understand the Christians nowadays because now our gratitude is so low over what he's done for us that we don't have an appreciation or a thankfulness or a gratefulness that we can inconvenience our schedule, our time. Oh, I got to go to Potter's house. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. And God is saying, why don't you, do I matter that much to you that when you're, what I did on Calvary's cross, that whatever I ask you to do, you're willing to do it as an open expression to everybody that, hey, I'm on Jesus' side now we have to fit it in your, your time and your, your schedule I'm just be real with you when we did baptism we called for baptism last time we had God probably about 10 people that was on that list it was more than it was like 13 or 14 people that was on the list to be baptized 13 or 14 people and they did they all there was some of them that could 80 to 85% of them said no. Can I, let me help you real good. This is pre-discipleship. Um, this added to that whole, that whole why I went to discipleship. Because that showed me that you really didn't know him. And because we really didn't know him, let's go ahead and get to know him first. So that the next time I do a baptism, you are more than grateful. I'm ready to go down in the water because who I used to be, I ain't that no more. Since Jesus came into my heart, he's made me brand new. And I'm so grateful that I'm willing to go down in that water. Because when I go down in the water, it means the death of who I used to be. But when I come up, it means I have new life in Jesus Christ. It is a symbol to let everybody know I am on Jesus' side. And I need to know on tonight, is there anybody in here that say, I'm not scared to admit to any and everybody that I am on Jesus side I run with Jesus he is my the best thing that ever happened to me and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we got too many people that are saints but they ain't they ashamed and so they want to keep it undercover so Peter Peter added baptism as a natural understood consequence of believing but it's not baptism but repentance and faith which brings forgiveness Baptism, baptism is the outward sign of an inward belief it's symbol it's a symbol of salvation not a means of it okay um, at this time if a convert listen to this this is history context for the text 
at this time. If a convert wasn't willing to do that, there would be little confidence in their professed repentance. Why? If they, were, if they were willing, then they would pay the price to go against the Jewish community to confess Jesus Christ as Lord openly and publicly. But when you always got a private religion, and when you always got a private faith, God is saying, is that really real? Because you shouldn't be ashamed to call my name in the middle of Publix. You shouldn't be ashamed to call my name no matter who's around. God is trying to figure out, are you really giving your life to me? Not just part of you, but all of you. Because if you're really giving your life to me, it doesn't matter what I have to ask you to do. You're willing to do it because you're so grateful that I saved you. So to become, so it became spoken of as that of as which that of evidence of salvation. Go to Ephesians 4, verse number 5. Ephesians 4, verse number 5. Ephesians 4, verse number 5. If you old school, or you come from an old school church, you done seen this somewhere. You done seen it on the walls. You done seen it across, you know, the black Jesus with the curly hair. You know, the mural that they put in the back above the, the pool. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ain't old school like me. I always wondered, I said, why does Jesus have a jury curl? I just didn't understand that. Okay? Ephesians 4, verse number 5. The Bible says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay, again, context for the text. He's not talking, it's not saying that in order for you to have one Lord, one faith, you have to have one baptism. What he's saying is, he's talking about water baptism as a symbol of salvation. The doctrine of salvation makes it clear that salvation does not depend on water. You want to really see this in operation? You have to look at Jesus even closely. Watch this. Go to Luke, this 23rd chapter. Luke 23. Let's bring Jesus into this conversation. Luke 23, 33. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Luke 23, verse 33. If you have it, say amen. This is Jesus on the cross. New Living Translation says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too. While while you're at it. Verse number 40. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then Jesus said, uh, then he said, watch this, verse number 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What is he doing right there? He's professing his faith that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Do you see that? Look at verse number 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Excuse me, I don't see no uh, baptism happening. Did Jesus say, okay, come on, let's get off this cross so I can baptize you real quick so that you can be saved? Do, do y'all see a baptism anywhere in there? But Jesus said, because you believed on me, watch this, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you see that? Okay. It's an outward sign of salvation was water baptism. One who refused baptism would be the one who refused Christ because they would say, uh, because, they're, because they're telling them you got to repent and be baptized. That's how 
uh, they preach in the book of Acts, repent and be baptized. And if you refuse to be baptized, you would, in a sense, do so because you refuse to repent. Okay? That is why that you will always see in the book of Acts, repent and be baptized. Because their thinking was like this. If you refuse to be baptized, that means you ain't repented. But repentance was repentance. Your faith in Jesus Christ and your repentance was what saved you. It was not baptism. Y'all got that? I'm going to show you another scripture. Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse number 32. Matthew 10, verse 32. Why is baptism important? Look at Matthew 10, verse number 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. What is Jesus saying? An open public confession of faith in Christ is the evidence, the initial evidence of one's true conversion. When you're willing to go on public record as having abandoned your former life and embraced Jesus Christ, that's what baptism means. It means I have abandoned my former life and gladly and willingly embraced the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. That's what it means. But what does baptism do? So if it's not a means of salvation, what does it do? If I could be saved without being baptized, why is Jesus say go into all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and why do we need to be baptized? What does it do? It, 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 well, let me tell you what it don't do. It don't make you more holy. Look at your neighbor. There's the evidence that they've been baptized. It don't make you more secure in God. It don't save you. Baptism, number one, write this down, brings the blessing of obedience. Baptism brings the blessing of obedience. Why is this such a big deal to be baptized? I mean, it's so, it's so small. It's not like, I mean, come on, what's, I mean, what's the big deal? It don't seem like it's that, that, that big of a deal. Like, you know, I'm saved. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. How much I, I spent on this camp? You know, watch this. You you know how cold that water is. You know how cold that is. You want me to get? Nah, I'm good. Mm -mm. Call me next go round. Watch this. Baptism may seem like a small matter to us. But obeying God in small matters is the first step in receiving God's greatest blessing. Maybe the reason why some of us ain't as blessed as we could be, because you ain't getting small stuff. You worried about the big stuff. What about the small stuff? Because obedience always leads to blessing. Here's number two that, that, that baptism does. Baptism brings identification with the Lord. It identifies you with the Lord. When you are baptized, I know who you serving now. You ready for this? Here we go. This is going to be real deep. Baptism is like the wedding ring. We put on the wedding, wedding ring as a symbol of our commitment and devotion. Wedding ring don't mean you're going to be committed and devoted. It's a symbol. Now I understand why we won't get baptized. Because we don't understand commitment to anybody anyway. 
So we ain't going to put a ring on it. Because I want to make sure I keep my options open. I felt that all in my pinky toe when I said that. That's, that's, why, that's why we don't want to go down the aisle no more. That's why, well, that's why we don't want to get married because we want to keep our options. And we take that same mentality with God. And God is saying, I ain't going to date you for the rest of your life. Um, okay. I'm, I'm done with that. Let me get off that. Let me get to the next question. Um, next question is, Pastor... Uh, well, let's go there. Go, everybody go to 2 Kings, verse 15. I mean, chapter 15. 2 Kings, uh, chapter 15. 2 Kings, chapter 15. 2 Kings, chapter 15. Going to the next question. I mean, you go there first, and then I'm, I'm going to give you the question. All right? 2 Kings. So, I'm going to just go ahead and call her name. Who, who gave me this question? Leah, you made me work on this one. When I tell you I sweated over this question right here, but I'm glad, I'm glad I got it. You know, sometimes you need to get something that's, that stretches you. And boy, this stretched me right here. 2 Kings chapter 15. Y'all there? All right. I, I just want to read the first couple of verses. And then I'm going to give you her question. Okay, here we go. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, uh, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Stop right there. How old was he when he started reigning? How long was his reign? 52 years. Okay, here we go. His mother, that's her name. She was from Jerusalem. Look at verse number three. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. Verse number four. The high places, however, were not removed the people continued to offer sacrifices and burnt incense there. Look at verse number five. No, no, excuse me. Go back to verse number three. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse number four. The high places, however, were not removed. Look at verse number five. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house. Jotham, the king's son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. Question was, in 2 Kings 15, verse number 4, it talks about the king not removing the high places and still sacrificing burnt incense on, on the high places. What does that mean? Verse 3 says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Did y'all see that? Verse 4 says, he did not remove 
the high places. Verse 5 says, he was stricken with leprosy until the day he died. What you don't know is the leprosy that he had, if you go over to 2 Chronicles, you will discover he had that, watch this, almost 20 some odd years. And during those 20 some odd years, Jotham, his son, actually co-reigned with him. So he didn't even reign all in 52 years by himself. My, the question was, well, what the high places? Because that seemed like that was the thing that got him off track. Verse 3, you are right. Verse 4, you wouldn't remove the high places. Verse 5, you were struck with leprosy. Okay, watch this. I got to give you some background. The king of Azaria also called Uzziah in 2 Kings 15 and 13, further down in that same text, and many other places in 2 Kings. So he has two names. Um, many scholars believe uh, Azaria is his real name and Uzziah is his uh, reigning name, okay? Like Queen Elizabeth over in, in London, um, usually when you become king or queen, they change your name to your royal name. Your birth name is one thing, but your royal name is something else. Y'all got that? Okay, you, haven't, you, you never realized, I don't know if y'all like me and love history, but it's like uh, 17 King Georges throughout their history, right? Because there are royal names that they have um, the only thing about Elizabeth in the in palace right now, this is for free, she was born Elizabeth, and she just kept her name. She said I ain't changing it, okay? Um, watch this. So his name is uh, Azariah, but he's also called in other places Uzi Uzziah, okay? And he was largely characterized by the good he did in the sight of the Lord. His godliness was rewarded with a long reign of 52 years. Catch this. But Azariah came to the throne in a difficult area. Jerusalem was in disarray. Major section of its protective walls were destroyed when he came to the, came to the throne. Its temple and palace emptied of, tr of the treasures. Some of its inhabitants taken, were taken away to Israel as, hostage, as hostages. Even 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 26 tells us much more about the successful reign of uh, um, Uzziah. He began his reign when he was 16 years old. He reigned during the ministry of Zechariah the prophet. Okay, um, he defeated the Philistines and he took many of their city, took many of their cities. He was internationally famous as a strong king. He was he was an ambitious builder and a, he was a skilled uh, agriculturist. So what happened was uh, Israel ain't had no money, and when he came to the throne, he was he was a mover and shaker, and they started making money. Okay. Keep, stay with me. He built up and organized the army. He introduced several new items of, of milita military technology. Ex he did all this wonderful stuff. Catch this. Except that the high places was not removed. Pastor, what's the high places? What does that mean? The high places. Now, you old school like me, we used to sing a song that said, and the high places must come down. Okay? Uh, Leo, I didn't know what that meant until today, until I studied this. I had no clue. High places, very simply, were places of worship on elevated pieces of ground. High places were originally dedicated to idol worship. Okay? 
These shrines often included an altar and a sacred object such as a stone pillar or a wooden pole in various shapes identified with the object of worship. So the, the pole or the stone would be in the shape of an animal, constellations, goddesses, or, 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 or even fertility uh, uh, deities. Okay? It was an altar or a shrine that they built, but they had an idol sitting there. Okay? The problem was that the Israelites were always turning away from God. And God comes along and says, I got a standard. You shall have one God. You, you, you are no longer polytheistic. You are now monotheistic. You, you serve one God. You, you can't have me and somebody else. I can't be your side piece, and I won't be your sugar daddy. I have to be your God. I have to be the only one you worship. And they would, watch this, the high places, they would practice Molech worship and built a high place for the God of Baal. Y'all heard that before? Even Solomon, David's son, Solomon, what y'all know about Solomon? Two things. His wives and what else? And wisdom. It was in wealth as well. But he was wise, and he had a women problem. Okay? Why did he have a women problem? How many wives he had? 700. Not including concubines. Okay? He had a wives problem. Catch this. Solomon, David's son, the son of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David's son, the wise one with all the money and with all the women, had a problem. His problem was when he started marrying all these foreign wives, he established high places for the foreign wives outside of Jerusalem. And what ended up happening was he started worshiping with them. That's why you got to be careful who you marry. Because if you're not careful who you marry, what they worship, you will end up worshiping as well. So Solomon, he loved the Lord. He heard my cry. He pitied every groan. Solomon, wise Solomon, started worshiping with, with the wives at the high places. Okay, watch this. Which ended up causing him to lose the kingdom in 1 Kings 11 and 11. Because what would end up happening is when you got all these high places and God, you waver between the two places of worship. You over here and you over there. You, you, you can't be settled in, in who God is and what he is doing. So you got to have, um, come here, you got to have, uh, come here, you got to have God and, and, and your, your zodiac sign. Y'all getting quiet now? Because we love to talk about what sign we are. Well, who, you, who are you in Jesus Christ? Because we can't seem to tell us that. Watch this. So, he would, so they would waver between two places. Because, catch this, when you still have high places in your life, it opens the door to one word. You ready for this? Compromise. Compromise is always an indication of spiritual shallowness. And the result was that he had to... Uh, 
to, uh, he had to um, end up, watch this, co-regent. We're talking about the king that we looked at in, in the, what we read. He had to co-regent with his son because of his leprosy. Catch this. This messed me up. So 20 some odd years, he co-regent with his son. And the text says, if you read uh, 2 Kings 15, you will find out, catch this, that he had to go into seclusion. Nobody even saw him no more because of his leprosy. Couldn't be around nobody. Watch this. But he still reigned for 52 years. What do you do when God fire you and you don't even know it? What happens when you have compromised so much that God will leave you right there and move the story right on along? got in ministry, I had to be, um, the one thing that the Lord has always, uh, one of the things that pastors deal with, that we always have to be challenged with over and over again, is to make sure that pride is killed in us in every way, shape, and form. And no matter how successful your ministry can be, no matter how many people come, no matter, you know, whatever, um, your pride is always crucified. Because what I've discovered is, you can be up one day and be down the next. And what ends up happening is that if you don't kill the high places, if you don't deal and remove the high places in your life, watch this. God will let you keep on operating the way that you've been operating. But he'll let you do it with a handicap. And when you thought you were going to be effective, you will no longer be effective. I don't want the Lord to fire me. Touch your neighbor and say, remove your high places. <laughs> what does that mean? Get rid of your idols. God is so amazing in his in what he does that he will take, watch this, in verse 3, you're doing what is pleasing me. But if you don't deal with your verse 4, you will have a verse 5. Isn't that amazing? 52 years. And the story just goes right along. In this one chapter, you will discover there are eight kings that are mentioned, and his story is all of five verses. And the story moves right along. Y'all see that? All right. Here's the crazy part. Azaria's name means my strength is Jehovah. <laughs> I just had to say that to the ear. That thing messed me up. His name means my strength is Jehovah. Well, he couldn't be too much of your strength because you wouldn't rest in the fact. Watch this. Now, why didn't he get rid of high places? This is free. Didn't write this down, but I studied, so you're going to learn it too. Why didn't he remove the high places? There's a, a couple of opinions about why he didn't remove the high places. One, he didn't remove the high places because he was scared of the opinions of the people that used the high places for worship. Let me help you. Sometimes you have to learn how to tell people no. And even if they don't like it, you have to rest in the fact that God is still going to be your strength. He didn't want to tell him no. So he let him keep on worshiping and sacrificing on the altar that was not dedicated to God. And God said, mm -mm, I don't accept that worship. I reject it. Watch this. This would mess me up. And he held the leader responsible. 
I need y'all to hear this. He held the leader responsible. Pastor, why would God strike, strike him with leprosy? I mean, that seemed a little harsh. You know, why would he do that? Well, here's the other opinion about this when I researched this. God never intended for any of the kings of Israel to be priest, prophet, and king. He had prophets. He had priests. And he had kings. The only person that was ever supposed to be priest, prophet, and king was Jesus. What is he saying? You tried to take my place. Because when you wouldn't remove, then you took matters into your hand and you became your became God. God said, no, bruh. Move on out the way. Do y'all see that? That Old Testament, you know, I don't like to go to the Old Testament too much. It's a little tough in there. All right, here's the next question. Y'all got that? Was that good, Leo? You got it? You got it? Okay, all right. Um, here's the next question. How do you know when to stop praying for something you want to happen but hasn't? Okay, so let me, um, this came in several different forms, and so I had to make sure, it came from several different people, but I had to make sure that, um, some of the questions that was asked um, didn't really ask this, but this is a substratum of what you're asking, okay? How do you know when to stop, stop praying for something you want to happen but hasn't? Okay, watch this. Um, my question to you is, have you ever been praying and had to ask God, where are you? When life has failed and, and your need seems insurmountable or the choices are just too confusing, we beg God for his help. Yet sometimes we hear absolutely nothing. And we start to wonder, what is God thinking? I want to give you the bad news, and then I'm going to give you the good news. Okay? Here's the bad news. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Here's the bad news. We don't know what God is thinking. Now, I know that's hard, because in this church climate, you got all these prophets that's telling you all this stuff that, you know, that now we think we got a monopoly on the mind of God. But the reality is that we don't know what's on God's mind. Catch this. Not fully, at least. And when you hope to hear from God and you haven't, you know what settles in? Frustration. I know your name ain't going to admit this, but I need just about three of y'all that can admit, I have been in a season where I was frustrated with God. Because he was not answering none of my prayers. Okay? Because the truth is, with just a little more information or a tiny glimpse of the picture, we could do what we need to do and make the right decision. And God is often silent because we really don't know what we don't know. I'm going to say that again. God is often silent because we really don't know what we don't know. Catch this. You praying for one thing, but we don't know the ramifications of what we're asking. You've been praying about this, but we don't know the countless other factors that are intersecting and being disseminated inside the mind of God. And this can be hard to accept, especially when you're asking for things, watch this, that are good, and the silence can become painful. This ain't for everybody, because I'm talking about people that, that know that then really went after God, and God said absolutely nothing. Now, 
the easier answer that I could give you tonight, that if we, that if you really truly trust the sovereignty of God, we would also be content even in our unanswered prayer. Now that sounds real good. That's the generic answer. You really trusted the sovereignty of God. If you believe that God is really in control, then you need to be content in that even in unanswered prayer. But try telling that to the person who is on their knees pleading to God for a child and nothing is happening. Can we have real talk? You know, some of y'all so churchy, it gets on my last nerve because when I talk real, I, I, I go to, it sounds like Chinese to you because you have built this frame of spiritual fakeness that when real talk starts happening, it goes right over your head. Watch this. Sometimes even knowing that God is good is not enough to keep us from being frustrated. Especially when he's silent. So I want to give you a couple of scriptures. Come on, let's go in this word. Psalms 116. Psalms 116, verse number two. Let me, let me, let me build my case. How many are interested in this question right here? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm in the house. Psalms 116, verse number two. Psalm 16, verse number two. 116, verse number two. You got it? Are you there? Are you there? Okay. All right. I'll wait on you. Psalms 116, verse number two. All right. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Let me read it one more time. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. You never take one scripture and just build a whole case on that. Luke 18, verse number one. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verse number 1. You have it? Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 1 Thessalonians 5. So glad I get to answer this question. Thank you so much for uh, sending this question, Crystal and Chantel. Amen. First, First Thessalonians five, verse number sixteen through seventeen. First Thessalonians five. Amen. If you have it, you got it. Somebody's still trying to find it. I'll wait on it. Come on. Uh-uh. I want you to find it. I want you to get it. First Thessalonians 5, verse number 16. Can I, let me do this. Um, so I'm sitting here, and the Lord said, I need to tell some of you, this needs to be your mantra, your theme for the rest of 2019. These four words. 
mine is four words. This needs to be what you live on for the next, for the, until the end of 2019. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. The Bible says, Rejo rejoice always, pray continually. Rejoice always, pray continually. Can I tell you something? Prayer becomes a prison when you don't learn how to rejoice. God, I want you to get this so bad because some of you are driving yourself crazy because you are praying, but you don't know how to put rejoicing on top of the prayer. So you're saying, give me, give me, give me. You believe that he can give it to you, but when he don't give it to you, then you have resentment and bitterness toward God because you don't know how to rejoice on top of it. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Let the church say, rejoice always. Pray continually. Look at your neighbor say, rejoice always. Pray continually. Look at your neighbor on the other side say, rejoice always. Pray continually. That needs to be what you live by. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I haven't even got to my answer yet. I have an answer for you. I'm just building my case. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse number 18. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse number 18. have a say amen and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people so I gave you the bad news here's the good news even while we may be tempted to stop praying for something because there is no clarity and we're out of time or out of patience. Here's the good news. God has spoken. See, I always thought unanswered prayer meant, you know, when you pray to God, there's three, there's three answers. No, yes, and wait. I didn't realize as I was studying this that when I got this question and I started researching it, I didn't realize that in spite of my prayer, God has already spoken. Watch this. Watch this. This thing messed me up real good. Here we go. And those words are available to us within the pages of Scripture. This is important to remember in those times that we drive ourselves crazy asking God if we should turn to the left or, or the right. Here's the revelation. I hope y'all with this. I hope you can handle this. Breathe in, breathe out. This is going to be heavy because maybe, just maybe, God doesn't care and the direction don't even matter. Could it be what you're praying for? He could care less about. Could it be that what you're praying about? He ain't gonna give you no direction on. Stay there. Stay there. I like that. Stay there. Watch this. Maybe what matters in the moment is not what job you take or the person you will date. don't matter. Maybe God ain't concerned about that. 
Pastor, why would you say that? So glad you asked me. Micah, the sixth chapter. Micah, the sixth chapter. Old Testament. Come on, let's go to the prophets. Micah, the sixth chapter, verse number eight. Micah 6, verse number, I don't think I've ever <laughs> gone into Micah. Micah, the sixth chapter, verse number eight. Micah 6, verse number eight. prophet told the people in Micah the 6th chapter verse number 8. Are y'all there? He has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God what you want me to do? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. I, I want to know, should I take this job? Act, act justly. <laughs> Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. Sh should I date them? Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. But that don't answer my question. Yes, it do. Because if you're with them and they're pulling you away from God, that just contradicted what he told you. You fool. You sent me to praying about something that's out of the will and out of his word. Child, you mad. You'll be all right. Breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. Maybe the broken relationship that's tearing you apart and the lack of clarity on how to resolve it is better answered not by God saying, hey, you, do this or say this and everything will be all right. Maybe the answer is found in his word. Have you ever considered that? I got these, I got, I got these relationship problems, and, and, and you know, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, okay, maybe the answer found. You praying? Here we go. Mark the twelfth chapter, verse number twenty-nine. Just hit, listen. While I'm giving this to you, just cut me as well, because I done prayed about a lot of foolish stuff that's already in His Word that I never even had to pray about. Well, God, should I continue the relationship with them? Don't you see that every time you come around me, you change? Don't you see your personality completely alters just so you can be with them? Mark the 12th chapter, verse number 29. Mark 12, verse number 29. Maybe the answer found in his word. Do y'all see this? arguing in the house, and I don't know what to, I don't know how to deal with this, and I don't know what's happening, and you know, it's just bugging my nerves. Mark the 12th chapter, verse number 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
there is no commandment greater than this. my job situation, these people working my nerves, and I just don't know what to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But you don't know what she said to me. She wrote me up for no reason. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The problem is if you don't love you, you can't love nobody else. So how about you pray that you learn how to love you? Could it be that we've been praying the wrong prayer? what's happening here? God does not always give us a direct prescriptive answer. Sometimes it seems that he wants to give us hearts and minds that mirror his. He don't want to give you a new job because you mean and nasty on the job you already own. So he leaves you there so that you can learn how to get his heart and his mind on the job you don't like. So that you can handle the job you do like when you get it. Because if you get it with the wrong heart, you're going to get fired over there anyway. Because guess what? I ain't going to put up with your foolishness over there. God has extended his grace and his mercy on where you at. And if you move too quickly, you'll get up, 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 from, up, 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 from, up from under the grace of what the place that he has you. This would explain why certain trouble and warfare come to our lives. Because we move too quickly. God was trying to perfect you over here and you moved over there. Eager beaver, slow down. Get the heart and mind where he has you so that he can open the door for the next thing. Are y'all with me? Okay. Mm -hmm. To that end, it doesn't require him giving us every single bit of direction, but rather teaching us how to think and, uh, and how to love. Watch this, which leads me back to the original question. Because I didn't answer it yet. Do I keep praying? Or should I quit? Because I'm not getting clarity. So glad you asked me. Here's number one. Should you keep praying or should you quit? Here's my answer. Number one. Trust that silence from God doesn't mean absence. You got to trust that silence from God doesn't mean absence. Let me help you. While you praying, you got to remind yourself of this daily. You got to remind yourself of this hourly. Sometimes you got to remind yourself every minute. That silence does not mean absence from God. Silence simply means, you ready for this? Not yet. Which in and of itself is an answer. Maybe he's saying, on and out. Not yet. Because if you get it prematurely, you might abort it. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. So I've been, I've been pastoring nine years, and here's what I've discovered. People in the church love to ask God to use them. But they can't handle the warfare of what happens when he starts using you. And because sometimes God knows better than you, you're asking for something that you're not ready to Mercedes, you got fries up under the seat you, you driving around now. 
whole fries that'll never disintegrate. Hello. You want to be an entrepreneur? You can get up late to your job now. How are you going to deal with clients that understand time is money and money is time? You plan for stuff you ain't ready for. And sometimes God's silence means not yet because there's still some of you that got to be processed first. Are y'all there? Here's number two. Number two, do I keep praying or should I quit because I'm not getting clarity? Here's number two, spend time in the word and get the wisdom that is available. Spend time in the word and get the wisdom that's available. Spend time in the word and get the wisdom that's available. He ain't saying nothing, get in the word. What does the word say? Because it could be in there. The answer that you've been praying about could be found in the book. So let me give you a scenario. I've been praying about this job. I've been praying about my coworkers getting on my nerves. What does the word say? Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verse number 4. Philippians 4, verse number 4. trying to get you fired how do you handle that Philippians 4 God I need you to do something move them Jesus let them get fired make my enemy my footstool <laughs> that prayer already off because you're not concerned about the pressure being going you're concerned about revenge They got you, so now you want to get them. So now you praying off prayer. Get them, Jesus. <laughs> Philippians 4, verse number 4. If you have it, say amen. Watch this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. What if before you got out your car, you told God thank you? I know you done prayed that, you know, they get transferred. But what if before you got out that car, you said, God, I thank you for this job. Because I remember the days when I didn't have this job. I remember the, the days when I was making way less money. I remember the days that I couldn't even keep the lights on sometimes. I remember the days when I didn't know how I was going to put these two nickels together. But thanks be unto God, come every Friday, you bless me. You give me the energy to get up out of the bed. I'm not sick. I give you the glory and give you the praise and give you the honor. That in spite of whatever the enemy is trying to do on this job, you are still faithful. In fact, you so faithful, you're going to keep me even while the enemy is plotting. You gonna, your hand of protection is over my life. So I tell you thank you before I walk in this job. And what happens when you walk in that job? You are good morning. How y'all doing? Good to see you because you you done got you together before you went in there you want removal of your issue God is saying I need removal of you watch this rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all let your gentleness be evident to all good morning let your gentleness <laughs> be evident to all I'm going to put, my, I'm gonna, I'm put myself on there. So yesterday, um, um, we had mass choir rehearsal, and I was tired. I had 
meetings early in the day. I've been ripping and running across that bridge. Thanks be unto God. The Lord bless me. Living somewhere new. Hallelujah. Thank you for that bridge and that drive. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I, you know, I got to come across it and everything. And so by the end of, 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 of choir rehearsal, we had a great choir rehearsal last night. I'm sure it's fun. You hear me? And um, great choir rehearsal last night. And mass choir sounds wonderful. And at the end of it, I'm tired. And we did something in there where each member is supposed to pray for each other. If you haven't done it, I hope you didn't text them by now and told them whatever you done prayed for. Anyway, I'm going to keep moving. And so we were, we, um, so we exchanged, they exchanged numbers, and then somebody's praying for somebody else, somebody's praying for somebody else, and we got all that going. And, and so Keisha had came in late, and so I had her, her thing. Donnay, her fiance, comes to me and says, uh, Pastor, you didn't get somebody for Sakesha. And because that very moment, I'm tired, the tired Phillips spoke up. I got it. I mean, didn't I say it like that, Donnay? Yeah, it was real rough. I know. I'm apologizing before you right now in front of the whole church because God convicted me when I left here yesterday that I was rude to you how I said that to you. And I said, I got it. Watch this. Because on the inside, um, gentleness was not being displayed. Watch this. He wasn't asking for money. He was asking to make sure the girl got prayer. <laughs> and I had an attitude about prayer. Come here, because you ain't, I'm not by myself. That's why some of y'all don't need to be a greeter, because you're too nasty. at me, but how many looks have you given people who came to sit right next to you in church because you didn't want to be crowded? You go to a crowded church. What is your problem? It's going to be crowded. And you looking at people. And the book says, what does it say? Let your gentleness be evident to all. God, I pray that nobody get on my nerves. Let your gentleness I need somebody to lift your hand and say, Lord, help me with gentleness. Help me with gentleness because I'm too rough in how I talk to people and how I respond to people and how I, uh-huh, uh-huh, even in my own house. And when my children get on my last nerve, I'm real rough with how I talk to them. And now they're they going to have something in their brain that every authority figure don't know how to have patience with them. You need to say, Lord, give me the gentleness. No, not patience, gentleness, that every response it pleases you in how I talk to other people. Verse number six, uh, the end of verse number five, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And if you do that, the peace of God. If you do all that, you'll have the peace. You praying, here we go, you praying, God, I pray don't get on my nerves today. I just want peace on my job. I want peace in my house. I just need peace. You the hellraiser. Every other word come out your mouth is nasty. Where the peace gonna come? Because God say, I ain't going to set everybody around you for them to have peace, for them, watch this, for them to encounter you and you disrupt their peace. 
because just like I'm ordering your footsteps, I'm going to order their footsteps as well. And sometimes the reason why they won't deal with you and they go the other way when they see you coming is because I made sure that whatever reflection that you're trying to put of who I am is not what they see. I need to make sure that when they encounter who I am, your God, that they see gentleness in all that you do. I need you to lift your hands and say, help me right through here, Lord, because this one is rough. Especially when it seems pointless, we must continue to bring our petition before the Father and be present with him. Because in this life, hear me ladies and gentlemen, you will learn this. There's always going to be confusion. You're always going to be confused by the next step. You're always going to be confused by which direction to take. You're going to be confused by which house to buy. You're going to be confused about which car to get. You're going to be confused about what to do with your money. You, you always, there's always going to be a learning process. There's always going to be an evolution with you. And so you have to be okay that sometimes I'm not going to have all the answers, but I got to keep on praying. Now, watch this. Go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4, verse number 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse number 31. New Living Translation, Ephesians 4, verse 31 says this, and 32. Uh, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here's what I need you to understand. You ready for this? So as you are praying, I need you to see this. You don't stop praying because in your prayer time, your prayer might change. I'm so focused on what I want, I don't give room for God to change me. Because the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean he gives you what you want. What that means is he will give you what you need to want. He will give you the desires of your heart. So my prayer changes. God, give me patience. I need patience on this job. I need patience. And that's one of the worst things to pray, to pray for. Because when God pray, when, when God sends you patience, he's going to give people test that patience. You said you wanted it. God, give me a greater anointing. All right, you're going to be crushed. What you signing up for? God, take me higher. All right, I got to take you lower first. Your prayer changes. God, send me a husband. Send me a husband. You're going to try to make your wife first. They got quiet right there. Because the Bible says, he that findeth a wife, which means she was a wife before she had the ring. He works, your prayer will evolve to his will. When I first started this church, I said, Lord, send the people. Lord, send the people. Let it flood this place. Let them come from the north, south, east, and west. Let them be lined up. 
Did my prayer change? Lord, send the right people. Lord, send the right people. Lord, send the right people. <laughs> See how your prayer changed? Because one minute you're praying for a man. And then when you get an immature man, and you get a crazy man, and you get a foolish man, then you will start praying, Lord, send the right man. Y'all see that? Your prayer changes. It evolves. Okay? All right. Make sure you got that. Um, just because it's not 100% clear doesn't mean we give up. The time will come when clarity is yours. Until that time, I hope you'll keep pressing on and trusting that the most important thing you can do is allow your heart and mind to be transformed into the image of Christ. Okay? Um, I'm going to deal with this very quickly, very shortly, and I'm going to get off of this. I need a little bit of maturity when I ask this, when, with this question. All right? I'm going to deal with one part of it. I'm not going to deal with the other part because I'll talk about it another time. Does God choose certain people to be single or childless? Okay. Let me answer it this way. Could it be that you have put God in a box that the only way that happiness looks like happiness to you is that you have to be married with a child? Have you ever considered the fact that maybe your story is different from the norm? I put God in a box and saying the only way that I can be happy is like this. Could it be? Help me. Could it be that the assignment on your life is bigger than being married? See how y'all got quiet? Because I thought about this question real hard. Do you know? No, I'm talking to you. Do you know that I look back at the last nine years of pastoring this church? not have been married and busy because the amount of energy and time I put into building what God told me to build would have would have sucked the life out of somebody who was married and busy because you would have had to been forsaken in order to, in order to walk with me you still don't believe me Jesus never got married because his ministry was so big is so big that that's not in the cards for you, are you okay with that? Point one. Point two. The childless part, I want to be very sensitive with this because you can look at this from different angles. You can look at this from an infertility situation that's going on or you can just look at it that you're single and you're trying to do it God's way. Okay? When we talk about infertility, there is a pattern in the word of God where you will see over and over again different places where women dealt with infertility. The Bible, from the Bible's perspective, context with text, the only way a woman had value is by the children she birthed. Okay? Because we're talking about a male-dominant situation. So the way that the picture is painted is that your womanhood is attached to how many children you can give birth to. I am no fool in 2019 to not put into the measure or put into the formula that women deal with all kind of reproductive issues that they never dealt with many years ago, especially black women and something called fibroids. 
okay? I'm not going to say it's God's will or it's, it's not his will. What I am going to say is this, that while you are waiting, could the love you have be applied to another place? Maybe God don't want you to just mother one child. Maybe there's a bunch of children that your hands are supposed to touch. get that? Because if you're still trying to box God in to say the only way I'm going to be happy is if you give me this. God is saying, what if you're so much bigger than, than to just go home with one child? Maybe you need to be God mom with about 10 children. Maybe you need to adopt. Maybe you need to foster. Why have you boxed me in to only one method? Because maybe your love will supersede all that and can reach even further. But if you only box God into one way, you will live miserable. Because God said, I could do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. Here's the last point, and I'm done. I'm moving on. Stop always. I had to learn this. This is a hard lesson to learn. I had to, all, I had to learn that my definition of blessing may not be God's definition of blessing. Maybe how God wants to bless me is outside the parameters of my finite mind. Maybe what God is doing in me and God is doing with me has not, is not something that I've seen before. And can I be okay with that? Because do I always have to believe that the only way that I can be blessed is this preconceived notion that's in my head that it got to be this way? And here's what I've discovered especially with the single mission. Folk that ain't been married want to be married so bad, and folk that's married want to be single so bad. Why? Why did I say that? Because it's all subjective. You make it what it is. If you're single, you make that singleness. If you're married, you make your marriage. So if you're just going to sit there like a bump on the pit, as if you're going to miss out on life, you ain't got somebody laying in your bed next to you. And I'm not excusing. I want to be clear. I got children in here, so I got to say this the right way. I'm not excusing <laughs> that need. I'm going to leave that right there. Are y'all with me? That's a whole battle in itself. But let me, let, me, let me break something down for you, even with that. If you don't learn how to get that under control in your singleness, you will take that with you in your marriage. So if you, that time your whole spirit on me right now, and I'm trying to be good. So if you fast in your singleness, it don't stop just because you got married. Because what if you get with somebody that ain't trying to be that fast all the time? see that? You got to get that stuff under control in your singleness. Okay? All right. I'm done with that. Um, another question that I had, if I struggle with cussing, then what's the point of me abstaining from sex? Here's the thinking. I'm still sinning regardless of which one I'm doing. Good question, right? 
oh, I have an answer. <laughs> Hallelujah. You ready for this? This thing messed me up so good. I said, Lord, how do I answer this question? Because it's like one of those things where you know the answer, but, you know, I'm like, how do I say this? Because I want to make sure I'm saying it right. And the Lord said, you ain't got to give no explanation. Watch this. Just open Romans, the sixth chapter. 